This week's podcast brought to you by Fragrant Fowls. The eight-year-old and I were reading riddles at bedtime the other night, and uh, we read one that she really enjoyed. And the next morning at breakfast, before we went to school, she recited it to our 10-year-old. She said, you throw away the outside and cook the inside. Then you eat the outside and throw away the inside. What am I? To which the 10-year-old replied, stupid. In the fist fight that ensued, the eight-year-old yelled, corn! Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. This morning, I was at the grocery store and there was this beautiful display of flower arrangements, many of them roses and a variety of others in vases, vases, and uh, and other things. And I was standing there staring at it, trying to figure out what it could possibly be for. I was thinking, okay, well, Valentine's Day is over. Easter is over. Why do they have those flower arrangements out in a prominent place? And then I looked at the balloon that was floating above them, and it said, Happy Mother's Day. And I remembered uh, that it's Mother's Day this coming Sunday. And the reason is completely not on my radar is because since my mother has passed away, I don't really do anything for Mother's Day except for tell you exactly what to get me. <laughs> I was just going to say, what are you talking about? It's not on your radar. You texted me. This is a uh, couple, maybe a couple weeks ago. An ad for and said, get this for me for Mother's Day. Well, because you, I, I knew it's not something, that's, that's certainly not something that would be on your radar. And it was a simple thing that a, a little piece of jewelry, not an expensive piece of jewelry, a piece of jewelry that ha- would have our kids' names on it that I would wear a lot and I just sent it to you and said this would be this would make a good Mother's Day present. I figured I've been married to you long enough to know what things you need help with. And choosing a Mother's Day present for me, I, I just figured was one of those things. And by sending me the link and saying this is a simple thing, it's really just the touch of a button, I will get no credit. No, you'll get lots of credit because you then responded, well, what length chain do you want? And and so I responded and, and, to that. And, and and whose children's names would you like inscribed on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll, if there's a way to to you know mess up this foolproof foolproof plan, I'm sure you'll find it. But um, but I'm excited about Mother's Day and the and the notion that I'm going to get this necklace that I'll be able to wear a lot. As the shopper in the family, is it mostly? Uh, mothers who are doing the shopping is the flower display and the balloons there so that the mothers can buy those things for themselves no, as they're shopping? I think most marriages, the, um, the the father is buying them for the mother. But I'll have to say this. It's only, what, five days until Mother's Day, and the display was clearly... Um, I, I, I don't think a thing had been purchased from it yet, which might be a little early because, you know, you want to buy roses or flowers when they're at their freshest. But, and maybe uh, maybe um, all those women are married to to men who have been told by their spouses 
that somehow grocery store flowers don't count or, or are discounted Maybe. in your esteem. You know who I bet gets... Or, God forbid, a, a toll-free number associated with buying flowers. I, I'm told never to do that again. <laughs> I bet that the people who get the absolute best Mother's Day presents are mothers who are getting them from other mothers, like women in a same-sex marriage. I bet they get each other great Mother's Day presents. That's just my guess. <laughs> Perhaps a glimpse into your future? No, I don't think so, but uh, but I bet they do. <laughs> what would be the ideal uh, floral gift for you? If I, if I, I flew to, no. If I flew to Amsterdam, harvested tulips myself, carried them back in some kind of organ transplant cooler uh, by, by uh, a medical airplane and delivered them to you? Well, you know, you know me well enough, I think, that no floral gift would be a good gift for me. I don't particularly like flowers. Like you that would that shouldn't be your go-to for me. I'll buy like I do like tulips. I'll buy tulips and I'll put them in a vase and I'll put them in the house. I think they're really pretty. But if someone was going to, you know, if not someone, if you were going to give me a gift, someone um, who else would be giving you flowers? Well, sometimes, like, if you coach somebody's kids, they might give you a nice floral, floral arrangement. I really like that, and uh, and it's pretty. But from my husband, who should know me better than anyone else, you should know that that wouldn't be the the top item well, speaking to of, get for me. Speaking of flowers and coaching basketball, I just thought of this. When I have been playing our son in HH, Hallway Hoops, our, our Hallway Hoops Association nightly basketball games, uh, hotly contested games. Um, he frequently complains that I've fouled him, and on the on the uh, most egregious fouls, he calls them. That's a fragrant. Fragrant. A fragrant. Does he think that's what it's called? He does, and I'm reluctant to <laughs> disabuse him of that because it's so awesome. That is pretty great. I hope. Uh, I hope that there will be a um, a, a monitor review in one of my upcoming WNBA games for, for a flagrant foul, and so that I can call it a fragrant foul. Because in college basketball, at least in women's college basketball, they don't use the term flagrant anymore, but you do in WNBA. So I could find a way to bring that up. Please do. Talk about hallway hoops and basketball. Well, we're, we're in the midst of Little League season right now, and I saw one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen at our eight-year-old daughter's softball game last week you were there too <laughs> it was great it this was unbelievably great so right now it's still coach pitch and there was a girl in the batter's box and you know so, sometimes with coach pitch coach pitch a kid can strike out because they swing at everything because if the coach is throwing it then of course they think it's going to be a strike and that's not always the case well we saw the opposite but you, you of that you can strike out but you can't walk right right you can strike out but you can't walk which Absolutely. turns out to be a perhaps a, a rule they should consider adjusting right well you can only strike out if you swing if if it's a perfect pitch but you don't swing they don't call it a strike there was this little girl who what did she take she, she swung at the first pitch swung, and missed, okay. swung and missed at the second pitch. The <laughs> third pitch, right down the pipe, she left her bat on the shoulder, didn't twitch, didn't move a muscle. Same goes for the fourth pitch and the next consecutive 25 pitches or what, so. What did it, it got to? It had to be close to 30 pitches. The sun was setting, pages were flying <laughs> off the calendar. The coach and 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 he wasn't getting frustrated. He kept his temperament perfectly, and and 
and he just, he would say to her, you know, all right, you've got this next one. And he'd throw a perfect pitch and she would just keep her bat on her shoulder. I've never admired an athlete so much in my life. <laughs> and I, I, She was prepared to be there until the next morning. Oh my gosh, I got the giggles and I couldn't stop laughing. And there was another mom with me and we were both just laughing so hard and Oh my gosh, it was one of the funniest things I've seen. And um, we've seen a couple games since then, and she hasn't done that since then. So I'm guessing one of the coaches talked to her about it, but it was <laughs> it was spectacular. It sadly, was delightful. It was yeah. perfect. <laughs> sadly, around midnight on an abandoned, otherwise abandoned field, she did swing and miss at about the 47th pitch uh, and sat down. It was fantastic. Oh my gosh. From one thing that was delightful to something that was very much the opposite of that. We talked on the podcast last week about how when you come back from having your yearly physical, you get interested or a renewed interest in the Mediterranean diet. So you were telling me about the Mediterranean diet. This is before we did the podcast. I'm less interested in the Mediterranean diet than I am in the Mediterranean. I feel like if I eat nuts, I will feel like I'm living in in Greece. Okay. Nuts and olives and and all that uh, feta. Anyway, so we had that conversation um, when we were in the kitchen. Our Alexa, our Amazon Alexa, happens to be in our kitchen. The next day, I got an email. There's a a running app I use when I go running, and I get emails from them periodically. The next day, I got an email from the running app with the headline, could the Mediterranean diet also help you run faster? What an interesting coincidence. The next day after we were having this conversation, I did not Google Mediterranean diet. So then later that same day, an unrelated website that I also get emails from, which is a recipe website, I get uh, emails from them every day. They just send random recipes. It sent me six recipes, majority of them having to do with the Mediterranean diet. So our Alexa is hooked up to my email, not yours. So it wouldn't matter what you were searching. So basically, even though at no point during our conversation in the kitchen, did we engage her in any way or ask her for anything, including anything about the Mediterranean diet, somehow the next day, two websites that are affiliated with my same email address that's affiliated with uh, Amazon sent me that stuff. So clearly, we were being eavesdropped upon by our uh, artificial intelligence. And I, I, I'm a little bit, uh, find it a little bit disconcerting. You think Alexa is eavesdropping on us? I think, well, of course she is. I think there's a speaker in our house that they claim is only on when you talk to it and use what they call trigger words. Which, but you, of course, which, you, which you accept as an article of faith. There's no reason right, to believe that's the right. case. Of course, she or someone through those speakers is listening and was listening then and then, I don't know, selling the information or giving the information out or something to those um, to those websites that I already get emails from. And so it was then geared towards the Mediterranean diet. There's no other explanation. I, I refuse to, to accept that it might just be a coincidence. Well, I mean, I came home from the doctor and Googled Mediterranean diet. It took me to a Mayo Clinic website that gave me a form on the Mediterranean diet. That's it. That's the only uh, 
activity in the house other than talking about it in our kitchen. Right. So and it is a scary Orwellian world that we're living in, yes, and I, but, I don't and, put anything past anybody. And your, But your email is not in any way connected with my email or those websites I was talking about. And so I was Googling, Googling it a little bit, and uh, one of the questions I asked is, is Alexa always listening? And the response, at least via Google, was Amazon's voice-controlled Alexa products are considered, quote, always on, end quote, devices. But that doesn't mean they record customers' conversations. The devices constantly listen for a user to say a wake word, which triggers her to begin recording voice data and respond to commands. So there you go. Well, there you don't go. Who knows? I don't take the party line on that to be gospel by any stretch. But you did say earlier this week, I don't know if you remember this, you were talking, trying to address Siri and you said, hey, Steve. Right. And then you corrected it. And after a moment's uh, silence, you, you corrected yourself and said, hey, Siri. And Siri said, what may I do for you? And now as I say that, Siri just came up. Oh, God bless it. Let me turn that off. Uh, you said, hey, Steve. No, Siri responds when I say, I know. hey, Steve. I know. I'm just saying, you said, hey, Steve. There was no response. I heard you say this. Then you <laughs> said, hey, Siri. And Siri said, what may I do for you? And the reason, the difference between these two is when you said, hey, Steve, I did not respond to you. Right. And nor did you respond to me. But then when you said, hey, Siri, Siri said, what may I do for you? She actually is listening to me. Well, I want to go back to our, our Amazon device. Well, I, I just want to say, I hope Siri... Uh, I can't keep saying that because she keeps responding. I, I hope S-I-R-I gets you the flowers that you want for Mother's Day. See, she would know that I don't want flowers for Mother's Day and therefore I won't get them for me. By the way, the other one, the A-L-E-X-A, when I uh, asked her for the weather the other day or it for the weather the other day, she said the weather and she said something like, have a good day or you're welcome or something. I didn't say thank you. so But she responded with some kind of gratuitous polite phrase that that unsettled me because you're not used to polite phrases or it was just i'm not used to uh the embellishment robot. of the conversation by right. the yeah by the uh speaker bot so here's here's another thing that came up when i googled that topic it said an, an amazon spokesperson said echo devices only make recordings after hearing a wake word like her name but there's a way to prevent Amazon employees from listening in. CNBC dug through the you-know-who app, and the option to share this type of information with Amazon was on by default. You can turn it off. So people, you can go into your Amazon app and turn off the option where they can just listen in and share any of your information. So I've got to make sure to do that. You, you could also presumably unplug it and lob it into the nearest pond, and that would stop that from eavesdropping on your kitchen at least. But then it wouldn't tell me what the weather was, which I could check by putting Holding a your hand out the window. thermometer outside the door. So why don't we consider doing that? I think that's a good idea. We asked a question last week on Twitter um, about a, the annoying business speak that people use. But before I For get example, to that... For example, okay, go okay, ahead. Okay, before I get to that, to the topic we were just talking about... We had somebody send in, uh, in a tweet, Jen. She said, I blame at Ball and Chain Pod for White Castle coming up on my sponsored ads. And she sent a picture within her Twitter feed of ads from White Castle. And she thinks she doesn't eat White Castle. There's no reason for this, them to come up. She blames our podcast. So if anybody else who listens to our podcast randomly has White Castle ads who come up on their Twitter feed, let us know. 
I think that's the only positive development in this otherwise Orwellian situation we've described. Yes, probably. In your world, that would be the case. Okay, so back to the business sayings. People responded with a bunch of them. So what we talked about last week was, uh, what did you, what did well, you somebody, say? Well, somebody, instead of calling you for, for work, they were going to ping you. Yes. Or does that mean email? I don't even know what it means. Well, didn't one of our friends send yes, you but a what text? Yes, what, but what in the context of... In the context of, of that, it means I'm going to... Like, Another phrase that you love, get in touch with. I'm going to text or email or call. It means I'm going to somehow get in contact with you. I'm going to ping you. I'm going to hit your aluminum-sided house with a golf ball. I don't know what it would mean. There you go. So while I can tell you, after that podcast was posted, a a neighbor of ours texted me and said, FYI, ping is a computer term to determine if a computer is on the network. Technology terms will shortly replace your sports terms in business speak. He added, I could geek out, I could geek out and for once use words that you wouldn't know. Diaphanous, you're a walking dictionary. So at least we've, we've taught uh, our friend Carl a, uh, a new word, diaphanous, and he's taught me the and, meaning of ping. And Carl, Carl's never worn diaphanous pants, so at I least we, uh, I've goodness. never seen him wear yeah. right, diaphanous pants. Well, I, th- I think he's absolutely right because most of the business phrases that people sent to us on Twitter in, in the... Twitter handle is at ball and chain pod. Bobby said one phrase that drives him crazy or perhaps her crazy. I don't have the bandwidth. I've heard that one before. Have you ever been in a meeting where someone says, I don't, we don't have the bandwidth for that. They don't have the manpower for that. Whenever whenever somebody says they don't have the bandwidth, I I walk over to that person at the, at the conference table, give them a a wedgie (laughs) removing their, their waistband and saying, you're right. You don't. It's a shame that, that, the word wedgie isn't used in any kind of business speak, at least that I'm aware of. Well, f- a wedgie when I was a kid was a Snuggie in Minnesota. That's, you, that's you neither here nor there. You called Snuggies? Snuggies, yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah, I'd never heard wedgie as a kid. Okay. Um, at least I never heard that when I was a kid. Our friend Brian gave us two that are terrific. One is hard stop, and the other is deep dive. And I have heard both of those in meetings. What's hard stop? Is that like the British full stop for a period? It's it's like, yeah, but more exclamation mark. Like hard stop, let's all pause a second because the point that was just made, like there's, there's nothing that can be added. There's no conversation to be had. That was such a fact so it's and a, an, an important fact, hard stop. All it's right, it's a self-congratulatory phrase. You say this about yourself. You say, and I think we should, uh, I think we should synergize with the Henderson account, hard stop, and it's like a victory lap, a verbal victory lap. Yeah, I suppose. Or it could just be like, I could, you know, if you said to me, you know, I've been thinking about, um, I've been thinking about what to get you for Mother's Day. And I said, no flowers, hard stop. Just basically time to move on. Deep dive. Deep dive. That's one I've even I've heard. Even that has has trickled down to my non corporate existence. Deep dive. Yes. Uh, Mandy sent us a bunch. She said, "I'll be out of pocket the next few hours." So do we do we know exactly what what that one where that I one came from? I think that means you're incommunicado. Right. But why out of pocket? It, like it makes your no phone sense. isn't in your pocket. What is it? And, even and mean? usually those people are out of pocket because they're at an off site. Right. Right. That's her intellectual property. So I guess maybe just used as if that's somebody's idea. And she, just saying, get, she should get credit for that. Yes, yes. What are your key takeaways from the presentation? Um, and, and, and I think you and broadcast television are, are guilty of that as well because there's always keys to the game and and uh, sometimes oh, yeah. those keys are, are takeaways. Yeah, no, even for some of the broadcasts I've done, they you have to give them your three keys to the game and uh, – 
and they're all the same. It, it, it's going to be you, some you, form you, of not turning the ball over, rebounding, and like defensive transition. You, you, get, <laughs> you use you, those three. Those three. Those are can work in every yeah, single instance. Keys yes. to the game, bingo. But you have keys, pregame keys, and postgame takeaways. Right. But here. <laughs> She suggests key takeaways. And, and here, it, her last one, the team needs to be, quote, nimble enough to navigate through the issue. So make they, sure they, you're nimble. They, they, they better be prepared to have this project scrapped at a moment's notice. Yeah. And her favorite was, her all-time favorite was low-hanging fruit. That's, that, for purposes of this, of this discussion, is low-hanging fruit. Right, That's probably exactly. one, of the, uh, one of the more common ones. Um, somebody sent in, we're all very busy, but I'm asking everyone to, quote, be here now. I, I would go, I would back up and they're not asking. That is an ask. Don't you get that sometimes? Yes. This yes. is a big ask. Or... Yes. And sometimes you, you, you mishear it and you say, ooh, have I gained a few pounds? Oh, no, it was a big ask. All right, Michael, I'm not sure our team, quote, has the bandwidth to collaborate with you on this project. Certainly not after my Snuggie, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> And then we talked about this one. Scott said, let's talk offline or his other favorite. We'll circle back and meet on this later. So circling back and uh, talking offline. Talking offline was the one that you had used, right? When you had, it, were having it your is. conversation. And, and then I, I, I felt shame and self-loathing as soon as it was halfway out of my mouth. So, yeah, so it's true. Many of those uh, low-hanging fruit excluded many of those were computer terms so thank you for uh, that insight carl and you'll be sending out a low-hanging fruit basket to everybody who sent in one of these <laughs> yes yeah, an edible like arrangement that. of low-hanging fruit something like some that, of the yeah. chocolate covered presumably oh the best stuff is chocolate covered yes a little inside baseball here to use another annoying uh business jargon denny gallagher denny with one n usually sends in a curiosity shop, shop with two Ps uh, each week. In case we're out of fodder, he, he prods us with some current event uh, hook that he, he asks us questions about. Oftentimes, we've recorded the podcast here in Connecticut, and he sends us the curiosity shop after we've recorded. Like minutes after. Minutes after. Recorded, Sometimes yeah. simultaneous. And I just haven't been checking my email. And last week, just after we'd finished recording, he sent his curiosity shop and asked us if either of us had any um, brush with a Celtics legend, John Havlicek, who had just passed away. And uh, had you? Had you? Uh, no, I, I never met John Havlicek. Well, I, I did. And, and the circumstances were unusual. So I thought I would share that. 20 years ago, I was covering the Masters. And I had flown in, I think, from New York, probably, to Atlanta, drive a couple of hours from Atlanta to Augusta. I had a hard-sided American tourister suitcase with stickers all over it from my world travels. And it had been badly abused on its travels. But uh, the final straw was the journey from LaGuardia to, to Atlanta, where the locks on the suitcase had been, which I never, I never locked. I'd never had anything in a suitcase worth locking in. Uh, but the locks had been damaged, and I, I couldn't unlock the suitcase. And so when I drove, after I drove from Atlanta to Augusta, my first order of business was to find a locksmith or someplace that could open my suitcase for me. And I did that, but as a result, I found the rented house where I was staying. Sports Illustrated had rented a house in a suburban Augusta neighborhood for everybody who was covering the event, of which a lot of, a lot of writers, photographers, editors are down there, and uh, various guests of the magazine. And you're staying in a house. In my case, it was a you're in a child's bedroom with a 
your name is on a sheet of paper written on the door. And so I enter this house late at night, dark, uh, tiptoeing down a hall, trying not to wake anybody in this ranch-style house, but also looking for my bedroom. And as I'm tiptoeing down this dark hallway approaching midnight, a door in the hallway swings open. And this giant ducks out of what turns out to be the bathroom, and he sticks out his hand and says, Hi, I'm John Havlicek. And I look, and of, of course it is 6'9", Celtics legend John Havlicek, and and not knowing what to reply with my suitcase in hand, I, I replied, of course you are. <laughs> did you give him your name? I did not. You didn't nor, nor do I think he was did interested. I think he was interested in not startling me because when you when you happen upon anybody in a dark hall in a strange house in the middle of the night, it could have that effect. But when you do it as John Havlicek, it's particularly disturbing. So he was there for Sports Illustrated. To speak to advertisers. And I have to say he was a ridiculously nice guy ridiculously nice guy and everybody said that about him when 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 he passed away did you see him at all after that you were yeah i didn't see him occasionally but i I didn't have any conversations with him i i uh, i didn't think that any of our interactions after that could top our initial meeting in the dark hallway in the strange in in a house that was strange to both of us i wonder if the people who rented the house to sports illustrated had any had any idea who was going to be staying there if it was just all right sports illustrating is paying us x amount of dollars to rent our house for the week of the masters and then never know that you know their son bobby (laughs) his bed had been slept in by a by a hall of fame legend for five of the nights or something forgive me if i've already told the story in the podcast i don't remember doing it but i i was on site, as it were, in business jargon, at a Sports Illustrated swim shoot, swim shoot, swim swim shoot, shoot, shoot in the early 1990s to write something. Where and were you? It was in Malibu, a rented house in Malibu on the beach. These million, multi-million dollar homes on the beach in Malibu, and uh, the guy from whom Sports Illustrated rented the house, this old doctor kept coming back to retrieve his keys or his reading glasses. He kept looking for excuses to come back and sort of poke around on what essentially was a set. They took his furniture out, put other stuff in, and were shooting stuff on the beach. And um, I was there really to move the furniture around. And uh, and finally, they barred him from coming to his own house. They showed him the contract and said, look, this calls for you to stay away for the two days. But uh, but it was his house, and understandably, he wanted to know what was going on inside. Was that an assignment that was completely coveted by all the young 20-something-year-old writers at Sports Illustrated? I would imagine so, to go just watch the swimsuit shoot well, I mean, you and feel, write you about know, it. I mean, I, it's, I, I don't know, but um, I certainly wasn't sitting around just you know watching what was going on. I, I, I felt super out of place there, and, and therefore, I, I, the uh, like... A French supermodel who was who was being photographed kept had a hankering for you know Doritos and and Diet Coke and that kind of thing. So I would run to the market and and make food runs. I was I was a I was a gopher and and happily so. Um, that makes me your stories make me think of two things. One is I have a friend who lives in L.A. Um, with his wife and kids, and there was one time where they their house was rented. I don't remember by which TV show, but they wanted to film something in their house. They paid them an exorbitant amount of money. They came in. I think they painted a couple of the walls, you know, moved furniture and brought their own furniture in. And they rented it for like three days, filmed their stuff. And then before they leave, they get it back exactly how it looked before. And I think, you know, it was rented for maybe 
$30,000 for a couple of days just for somebody to film something in it. So that's a pretty good way to make some uh, a ton of cash. And then the other thing was when you were talking about your suitcase and having to go to a locksmith because uh, you couldn't get it open. Have I ever told the story on this podcast about my colleague who was not very friendly to um, to the baggage person at, uh, I think it was Charlottesville Air- Airport. Have I ever told the story? I don't think podcast? you've ever told it to me. Okay. I, well, a colleague was telling the story and, and, and has a really good sense of humor about it. But he was flying from, he lives in uh, New Jersey. So he was, he was doing an event, I believe it was in Charlottesville. And he was flying from Charlottesville back to, back to Newark Airport. And for some reason, he got into it a little bit uh, with, I don't know who, which airline, Delta, American, whoever it would have been, um, when he was checking his bag. And there was some issue at, with checking his bag. I don't know if, if he had a lot of status and they still made, it, made him pay a little bit extra because it was a pound or two over or what the deal was. But he was not very kind to the person who was checking his bag, which he readily admitted. And then when he got back um, to Newark and he landed and he got his bag, <laughs> the person had put like this industrial lock on his checked bag. And he said he had to, he had a friend who was a police officer and he had to go to him and have like these super cutters be the able to take of off. Yeah. To take off the uh, lock. And he, and he just laughs telling the story and said, you know, ah, point for you. Like, <laughs> but do you suppose that guy that I'd never heard that story, that baggage handler has uh keeps a dozen expensive industrial locks on hand for that purpose. Oh, it'd be great. I mean, what, a, what a great thing to do, especially if you know it's somebody that that's not their home airport. It's not like they're going to see you again. <laughs> I would love that. Someone gives you all kinds of attitude. All right, treat them however, and then put a giant lock on their bag. Make it <laughs> so difficult. Imagine if, if, if my friend was going you know, to New Jersey to call another game, didn't have a friend there, and had to, like you, go find a locksmith just to get at his toiletry. <laughs> because there's that, there's that urban legend, and, and God, I hope it's an urban legend of, uh, a famous urban legend of, you know, people opening their suitcase and, and finding uh, uh, photographs of some unspeakable things being done with their toothbrush or something. Uh, so, Oh, there is? I've not heard that urban legend. Yeah, That's maybe, disgusting. Maybe, I may be confusing it with another urban legend, but um, that was my nickname in college, by the way, the urban legend. I'm sure it was. I, I know what I was thinking of. I wonder now when we're talking about rented houses, if the house that SI rented in Augusta mm-hmm. belonged to Dr. Gary Siegel's son. son. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Although, how many years ago was this? This was 20 years ago. So maybe that, maybe it did. Maybe Perhaps it belonged he it after. To, to Dr. Gary Siegel. Or, yeah, it could still be the same house, even if it didn't belong to his son then. Exactly. Haunted by both John Havlicek and Dr. Gary Siegel. Junior. Yes, because I, th- I think his son is Dr. Gary Siegel Jr. They he named be. They named him at birth Dr. Gary Jr. Oh, that reminds me. Who is the NBA player who has his last name followed by Senior? Morris Senior. I don't understand. I've never seen that before. So, I, of course, you see, you've seen Junior or the third on somebody's jersey. I've never, ever before seen Senior. So, if any... Well, if, if, any, if Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr. were playing together... Well, I'm, ass- but I'm they assuming... Were, they were. I'm assuming Morris Sr. is not on the team with Morris Jr. So and if, Morris if, Jr. should be, really, because that's the name of a famous car in England, a Morris Minor. So, 
Well, LeBron James, I, you know, he has a son, LeBron, Bronny. Maybe he doesn't have the same middle name and maybe he's not a junior, but I think LeBron next year in his jersey should say James Sr. I think every NBA player who names a son, who names his son after him, who has a junior, should put senior on his jersey. I thought that was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. If, if I had played in the, in the NBA near miss as Steve Russian, I would have Russian the first, just the Roman numeral one after my name on the back of my jersey. <laughs> well, but then it would just say Russian I. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we would we would. You'd make put the space in between. Yeah. Okay. Or no, I would spell out Russian the first. I mean, I'm sure there's a history to it, and I'll look up why men named their sons after them. That's something women don't do. Like it's just an ego thing. Like a woman, I don't know any women who named their daughter their same name. No, but 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 and if many, they did, but how many come people, it's not a many people are are feel obliged to carry on a family tradition that they didn't start. But if you're if you were um, uh, Fred Lobo the ninth, you would have feel some See, pressure. I think that's where men and women might be different too. Like men would feel obligated to carry on a tradition they didn't start. Women would say, "Yeah, this is a dumb tradition. It's done. Move on next." <laughs> like there are many things in society that are dumb traditions that that carry on for no reason, and um, and we should stop. <laughs> Just to follow up on one other thing we talked about last week, we didn't talk about John Havlicek, but we did talk about the game shows of my youth, and um, including Press Your Luck with the with the big money and the whammies, yeah. And just by serendipity, Denny then texted me immediately after uh, he posted the podcast uh, a story from uh, one of the Hollywood trade publications about ABC is rebooting uh, Press Your Luck. This summer, you know how they have game shows in the summer, the $10,000 pyramid and the yeah. $20,000 pyramid. Who's hosting, um, did it say? Uh, match game, Elizabeth Banks, the actress Elizabeth Banks. And, you know, Alec Baldwin hosts a match game. And it made me think that the original host of Press Your Luck was a guy named Peter Tomarkin. And he, I didn't realize this, but he was also a pilot, a private pilot, and he volunteered his uh, services to hospitals and medical organizations and he and his wife were flying to San Diego from Los Angeles to transport a cancer patient back to Los An- to a hospital in Los Angeles when his plane crashed and he and, and his wife died so um, uh, you know the, the trivial aspect of this is that game show that that he hosted press your luck is is being uh, revived this summer on, on ABC well, you mentioned last week that last week's podcast, we talked about the game shows and we also talked about different television shows. And I have to say, last week was a pretty expertly edited episode by our friend Denny with one N. He put in a bunch of snippets of sound from those TV episodes. And you and I have no idea he's doing those things until we, if we end up listening to the podcast <laughs> a day or days later. And then, uh, I had to say that Denny did a really nice job editing that. So and I, thank I like, you, thank I, you, Denny. I like hearing those edits, especially when you point them out to me as as you listen when you're when you're uploading them to him. Uh, otherwise, like most of our listeners, I can't stand the sound of my own voice. So I find it uh, I find this podcast unpleasant to listen to, not just for the content, but also for the the sound of my voice. You find our podcast unpleasant to listen to, except when Denny puts those edits in. Is that what you're saying? Denny, Denny definitely makes it uh, as pleasant as possible. Oh, okay. Well, again, thanks, Denny. Something about the, the timber with a B-R-E, not a B-E-R of my voice. I don't know what it is. Perhaps our listeners can elucidate. 
maybe it's just what is so annoying about my I think my, what might be annoying more than your voice would be uttering the sentence something about the timber the B-R-E not the V-E-R of my voice well <laughs> was that was that uh, slightly kind of a pompous slightly okay P-O-U-S <laughs> yes but not not to be confused with the pompatus of love from Steve Miller's The Joker okay Okay, we're we're done here. Is we're that done. what you're saying? We're should, done. Should, we, should we go with the viewer mail? Let's go to viewer mail. Our voluminous viewer mail. Yes. Do you have any? You've actually, I think. No, I did most of the viewer mail yeah. within the context of the um, annoying business conversations. Well, well, let's get to the uh, the viewer mail that came into ballandchainpod at gmail dot com. And as always, it's voluminous. Big bad look, throw our lure, reel us in with your viewer mail. Our first uh, viewer mail comes from Lori. She, her, her email is headed, kid comment. When I told my elementary age daughter it was a makeup day at school, she put on eyeshadow and lipstick and was ready for the school makeup day. <laughs> so, that's terrific. That's fantastic. Oh, that's fine. I hope she didn't, uh, hope she didn't disabuse her of that either. Uh, dear Rebecca and Steve, uh, your reflection on teaching last week was rather amusing. Remember, we um, we talked about it, the terror of speaking at middle school. Oh uh, yes, uh, career days. I teach middle school. Should you ever find yourselves in Charlotte, North Carolina, my students would love to hear about Rebecca's leadership skills and Steve's ability to produce more similes than foghorn leghorn. So we have a standing invitation to speak at a middle school in Charlotte. Then that's from Bob in North Carolina. You're speaking tomorrow to school, aren't you? I am. I'm speaking at Northwest Community College in Winstead, Connecticut. Do you have any particular topic? Um, since Mother's Day is coming up, my topic is Things My Mother Taught Me. Very nice. Um, Rudy writes, Good morning. For those who don't like the traditional fanny pack, there's another option. This is an effortless resolution. Slip on these Crocs and off you go with your cash and credit cards without having to strap on the pack. A dedicated listener, Rudy, and he includes a screenshot of an advertisement. This thing is real. Purple Crocs, you know the little strap on the back of the Crocs? Yeah. There's a fanny pack, a little miniature tiny fanny pack attached to the strap of each of those Crocs. Well, first, what would be small enough to fit in there? And second, wouldn't it then be a heel strap and no longer a fanny, or a heel pack and no longer a fanny pack because it's not on your fanny? And, And you're calling me? Semantically pompous? Yes. Well, you're the one who can see the picture. What can you fit in there? Can you even fit like a thumb drive in there? You fit a key in there, a couple bucks? What what fits in that little strap? I, it's just, it's that's. I think that's the beauty of this, is it leaves you wondering what could possibly be in there. Much like Diamond to Shields wonders what's in uh, what's in, in the Merce. He had Diamond to Shields, who plays for the Chicago Sky. She played in college. She was National Freshman of the Year at North Carolina, transferred to Tennessee, She's been playing pro ball overseas the last couple of years. Last year was a rookie in Chicago, and she had a tweet today, and it just said, what do men be having in they purses? What do men be having in they purses? And it just struck me as so darn funny because who really knows? And she's playing overseas where where the prevalence of the man purse is, is higher than it is here. Yes. It's European. Someone took my European carry-all! The what? It's a black leather thing with a strap. You mean a purse? Yes, a purse. I carry a purse. Tanya writes, Tanya from Troy writes, 
For some reason, while listening to your podcast this morning, I realized we haven't heard about Jesse, or Jesse with an I, in a while. And it is Jesse, J-E-S-S-I-E, not J-E-S-S-E. How is your dog? What is the dog up to during this AAU season? Is she more of the kid's dog than yours? Oh, 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 oh Tanya from Troy. If only she were more of the kid's dog than ours. Uh, perhaps she is doing well. Perhaps if she is permitted, she can be the guest dog in basement one week. Actually, we don't let her in the basement. The basement is the one place we do not let her come down to. She can pretty much go anywhere else in the house. We try to keep her out of our bedroom, too. But uh, because there's a lot of kids' toys down here, and she's never outgrown or I guess just doesn't realize that not all plast- small plastic things or small plush toys are hers and just devours them. Um, okay, let me let me they're inject- all chew toys, so she doesn't come to the basement. May I inject some reality in here? Sure. Okay. Uh, Jesse goes wherever she wants to. The only she reason the only reason here. she hasn't been in the basement is because she can't turn the doorknob, but she wasn't allowed on couches. She now sleeps on any couch she pleases. That's she wasn't true. allowed in bedrooms. She now sleeps on at least two of the kids' beds. She uh, was going to be trained not to jump up on and maul the mailman or the UPS guy. She they now shower her anybody. with milk bones so that uh, she doesn't She do doesn't that. maul anybody. Uh, she, no, she doesn't. She, no, she doesn't. She doesn't maul them. She jumps up because she, she's excited to see people. Absolutely. So she jumps up. She wants to, you know, lick your face or say hello. No, no, she doesn't for hurt anybody. Who, no, and for people who like dogs, every, they all say what a good dog she is. She is a lovely dog. Clearly, Steve has yet to, she hasn't, she's yet to grow on you, I suppose. Let me just put it this way. When you ask, when, when Tanya asks if this is the kid's dog, I'm the one who feeds her. That's not I'm true. I'm the one who waters her. I'm the one who medicates her. I'm the one who. That's not true. She, she goes for a walk maybe once every six months. See, none of that is true. All of it you is true. You don't feed her. Our eight-year-old, that's her chore, and she feeds her And you can imagine how 95% mm, of the time. Okay. I'm we, you and I I think do an equal job giving her her medicine. And you're you, you're the only one who withholds love 100% of the time. I don't know how to respond to that. I know, just read the next okay. viewer mail. Um, this next viewer mail, I love. Hi Stephen Rebecca. I live in a small mountain town in Colorado. Yes, the mountains around the town are small. <laughs> He, he preempted my question. There you go. Having been a small-time contractor slash carpenter for much of my life, I would like to apply for the position of resident homeowner safety engineer. I can offer such valuable safety tips as don't fall off that ladder while changing light bulbs and don't pinch your fingers while changing the furnace filter. Enjoy your show. Time to breastfeed my cat, Oli. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Oli. Ralph did not buy into the premise of the Beverly Hillbillies back when it first aired. We talked about classic retro television last week, the reruns that aired after school in my youth. Uh, But Ralph did buy into Gilligan's Island. Now that I'm older, I've changed my mind, he writes. The Clampets are hilarious, but that you can keep the same clothes clean and not tattered for three seasons is absurd. It still has its hilarious moments anyway. Yeah, the premise of the, I think that's the uh, clean clothes is the least ludicrous of the Gilligan's Island premise. The the fact that the Harlem Globetrotters would wash up there may be uh, even more ridiculous than the laundry And wash back away without helping Gilligan get off the island. In fact, I think I could keep my clothes untattered on an island. The the trope of every kind of New Yorker cartoon where somebody is stranded on a desert island is they're always in tattered clothes like Tom Hanks and Castaway. But I don't think it would be a problem keeping your, your shirt unfrayed. You on don't. a desert island? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I hope never to find out. Okay, I hope so too. Speaking of TV, hi, Stephen Rebecca, writes Myra. On my, oh my, TV shows from childhood, particularly game shows, are how I spent so many hours of my youth. 
that I can't get back, I can't resist contributing to that discussion for your podcast. Where do I begin? I spent a lot of time playing outside, so I must have been an excellent time manager because I watched a lot of game shows. One of my earliest memories of childhood is watching Concentration when Hugh Downs was the host. Uh, Concentration was a classic game show. Hugh Downs, of course, would later host. Do you remember Hugh Downs as the host of 2020 on ABC? Yeah, I do. Okay. Before that, he was a game show host. Uh, A core group of hosts bounced around from show to show. Wink Martindale, you can't say game show without saying Wink Martindale, was probably the best known, of course. He was the host of Tic-Tac-Doe. Do you remember that, Beck? No. You don't remember Wink Martindale of Tic-Tac-Doe? I remember the name Wink Martindale. I don't remember watching the show. Wink Martindale. I mean, the greatest game show host name and perhaps certainly on the Mount Rushmore of, of game show hosts. Meyer wasn't fond of his shows. My favorite, her favorite, was Tom Kennedy uh, and his show, You Don't Say. It's not what you say that counts, but what you don't say. Even though these shows were probably a little before your time, many of the shows from the 60s and 70s aired newer versions later in the 70s and 80s. Even Alex Trebek hosted a newer version of Concentration in the 80s. And no matter what the show, if they were celebrity contestants, Betty White was always one of them. Any of this ring a bell? Of course, Betty White was the classic game show contestant of my youth, along with Charles Nelson Riley, the great contestant Charles Nelson or the first time you said it, you said contestant. Contestant? You did. Well, I was I was channeling Charles Nelson Riley, okay. Fanny Flagg from uh, Match Game, and the inimitable Brett Summers. Do you remember Brett Summers? No. She was married to Jack Klugman, Quincy, and Oscar Madison, um, you're who I about, spent a day with once, who, by the way. Who's that? Jack Klugman. Well, tell Oscar us Madison. That story. Well, I mean, there's. Uh, I will save that for another time. Okay. Um, well, but, you're talking about the game shows, and, and somebody sent us a tweet at. Uh, at our Twitter handle, which is at Ball and Chain Pod. And they said, I love game shows. It was great for you guys to talk about them this week. By the way, not a fan of Game Show Network. Huge fan of Buzzer. B-U-Z-Z-R. You have to try it. They have classic concentration with Alex Trebek, my favorite game show ever. So Buzzer, B-U-Z-Z-R. That's the second uh, Alex Trebek reference. Yep. You've met Alex a couple of times on Jeopardy and Celebrity Jeopardy. I think we've told that story. There's this guy making this amazing run. On Jeopardy now, Holzhauer is his name. He's going to set the perhaps the all-time record. He's a sports gambler, and he clears the board of the $1,000 categories, then doubles down on the Daily Double, blows people out of the water. Does any of this sound familiar to you? Yes, I haven't okay. watched yeah, him, neither but yeah, I'm I. aware of him. Neither have I. But um, Myra just adds on these classic television that um, both Beverly Hillbillies and Gilligan's Island had those theme songs, not only at the front that explained the whole premise of the show, but then you could uh, stick around for the closing lyrics at, as the end credits were rolling. And that's something that... Uh, we don't see enough of anymore is the no. the theme song explaining the sitcom. Of course, we don't see sitcoms anymore. Do you think our theme song explains our podcast? Yes, that's absolutely. The, I was just going to say uh, the Ball and Chain theme song is a throwback to those old school sitcoms. And, and thanks to the genius of Tom, Dick, and Harry, uh, which who are partly paying homage to Sherwood Schwartz and, and the theme song that explains the show. Hi, Rebecca and Steve, writes Laura. I couldn't stop laughing when you were talking about office jargon in this week's podcast. Ironically, I was listening while sitting in traffic on my way to work and hoping the traffic wouldn't make me late to my morning huddle. Your conversation about the friend who struggled to wear jeans in his corporate job reminded me of a time when my sister's fiancé looked around the room, saw everyone was wearing jeans, and then exclaimed, Looks like we're jeansing it today. (laughs) I had never heard that phrase before, but he does work in the insurance industry in Hartford. Curious if it's a common saying in that world. It comes from Laura in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Our daughter would. What would she say? Looks like we're hobo pantsing it today. <laughs> yes, is that a, is that a phrase that you you Jeansing. were more native to the Hartford area than I? Uh, I don't know. Jonesing is everywhere. I don't. I don't think I've ever heard jeansing. <laughs> well, on the same topic, uh, Kurt in Oregon writes. 
Dearest Restiva, Steve's recent thoughts on TV shows of our shared youth brought to mind the internet subculture about fan theories for TV shows. Fan theories offer an off-kilter look at what was going on in TV shows, hidden from the viewer, but based on presented facts in quotation marks. For instance, SpongeBob SquarePants, in this fan theory, is actually about the mutated animals following nuclear tests at Bikini Atoll. Okay. Okay. You, you, you with me here? I am. Uh, Kurt's favorite fan theory is that the Flintstones and the Jetsons take place on the same planet at the same time. Both groups of characters are mostly unaware of what goes on in the other's world. Kurt's question, do either of you have any fan theories about your own, about TV shows, or what would be the best fan theory about Ball and Chain? I certainly have a fan theory about Ball and Chain. Okay. Not that, not, I've said earlier that I'm not a big fan of the podcast, but... Um, <laughs> what's, your, what's your theory? My fan theory is that neither you nor I, or the people, the person pretending to be you and I, exists or is here for the podcast. It's one guy somewhere else doing both voices in his... Uh, Perhaps in his. This well, is his fan theory. Oh, this is my fan theory. This is your. Yeah, Kurt asks us if we have a fan theory about right. a TV show or about our own podcast. Okay, so tell me what's your fan theory. My fan again? theory is that neither of us is doing this podcast. Okay. There's one random dude somewhere doing both of our voices. Okay. And putting it out under our name. Okay. You know who actually um, paid him to do that was our daughter, our eight-year-old who doesn't like when we leave to do anything she probably also doesn't like us yes she's the one who wants basement. wants espn to hire a doppelganger a voice yes. doppelganger for you to to go to the to games. go to the games on the road so you can stay home and be with her so she has contracted this guy to do the podcast so that especially in the summertime well, when she's home from school well, she won't have to miss any time with us if i can add to that fan theory uh, kurt is writing from his work email in case the show has a need for a resident photon wrangler and it's signed Holistic Cable Massage and Photon Wrangling. So in my fan theory about the Ball and Chain podcast, this random person is doing the podcast from his Photon Wrangling laboratory. Okay. Ordinarily, I would say laboratory, but when it's kind of an evil genius in a TV show, it's always pronounced laboratory. Mm. Speaking of which, do you remember Dr. Evil? Laboratory? Remember, are the contestants are in you, the laboratory? Of course I know Dr. Evil. From, doc, from Saturday morning television? Oh, I know Dr. Evil from... Oh, no, no. I, I, I'm not Dr. Evil from, from Austin Powers. Dr. Shrinker, played by Billy Barty. No, I don't know Dr. Dr. Shrinker. Dr. Shrinker, he's a madman with an evil eye. Dr. Shrinker, Dr. Shrinker, he's a madman with an evil eye. No. Okay, just me then. Stephen Rebecca, congratulations on your 75th podcast. This comes from our friend George in Columbus, my, my monocle dealer and now oh, my, my croaky supplier. Regarding your discussion of middle school presentations, a few years ago, my wife, a school psychologist at a local middle school, asked me to speak at their annual career day. I readily accepted, but then she filled me in on the details. Those presenting were expected to not just talk about the profession, but to prepare some interactive show-and-tell portion of the presentation to hold the student's interest. For example, some of the expected speakers included a firefighter who would bring a fire truck for the kids to explore in the school parking lot, an Ohio State assistant football coach bringing helmets and other football gear, an ice sculptor who would use a chainsaw to carve blocks of ice for the kids, and a veterinary tech who would bring, of course, puppies. Now, these are all hard acts to follow. Sure. Uh, this is my uh, adding this to George's email. Now, George writes, all of those speakers and more would be placed on a master list, and the students could choose which presentations they wanted to hear. Nightmare. Am I right? Of course. So now I had to come up with something that could compete with Buckeye football chainsaws and puppies. I decided I would show videos of eye surgery, because who doesn't want to see cataract and LASIK surgery? My videos garnered the expected 7th grade audience comments of, ew, cool, and gross. 
It was going well until one girl got up to leave. Unfortunately, she didn't make it to the door before she turned white and passed out, effectively ending my presentation. I was not invited back the next year. By his wife. Yes. Well, that's like, um, you know, City Slickers when Billy, when, uh, Billy Crystal has to follow the, um, the firefighter, I think it is. And, and, and then he talks about how he's, he's, you know, he has this boring job that he goes to day to day and he will continue doing it until he has to, uh, he gets old and he starts going to uh, uh, dinner at four, having lunch at 10, breakfast the night before. The 70s, you and the wife retired to Fort Lauderdale, started eating dinner at two o'clock in the afternoon. You have lunch around 10, breakfast the night before, spend most of your time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? This, uh, this is going to be one of those times where you, you're, the fact that you're married to me, you're going to be disappointed in just a little bit more and that I've never seen City Slickers. Well, that's, that's fine. But the whole premise of it, Billy Crystal and his buddies go off to a dude ranch right, right. Uh, is because he's living this humdrum, mundane uh, life that he, he has this epiphany about while he's at his kid's career day. Think you'll ever go off to a dude ranch? You'd have my blessing. If you wanted to go off for a few weeks or even a month, I don't know what you do on a dude ranch. Maybe uh, ride a horse and shoot targets. <laughs> you're, you're welcome to. Uh, I, think, I think those are two things. Those two things are probably at the top of my list. Eat beans shooting, out of a can. Shooting at targets, <laughs> riding a horse, and eating beans out of the can, yes. yes I mean, I prefer are, you not do the... Brokeback Mountain version, but you could do the City Slickers version of the Dude Ranch if you want. <laughs> I've never seen Brokeback Mountain. Just, either. <laughs> I, I haven't either. But you just want me. You just want me to go away. Is that what you're saying? No, a, a little vacation wouldn't be so bad yeah, for no. you. <laughs> I think I think you're right. Let's start planning my vacation okay. on future podcasts. Uh, hello, Rebecca and Steve. I'm a wife, mom, English teacher, and a basketball coach, so I can relate to so much of what you discuss and love everything about your podcast. Any longtime listener knows that you frequently discuss the spelling of names, Denny with one N, for instance. My name is Marty, M-A-R-D-Y, Marty with a D and a Y. I've had to spell my first name for my entire life and, the ans- and then answer the question, is it short for anything? I usually respond, no, I'm named after a town in Wales where my grandmother grew up. So she's wanted to send an email while she's been listening, and, and therefore she's, she's required to embrace a bunch of topics. Having, having built them all up to send this email. One, a long time ago, Rebecca mentioned how she can't stand when Steve or the kids put rolling bags on the bed or shoes on the eating surfaces. I also have an issue with such things, but I'm especially annoyed that my students who sit on the cafeteria tables, uh, excuse me, your butt is where other kids eat. Yuck. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. Two, soda is best with ice from the fountain. No one will ever convince convince me otherwise. That's long been your... Amen, your, especially uh, if it's the little, the little tiny particles of ice uh three rebecca your discussion of the diaper look on female basketball players struck a chord with me i can't stand it i consistently remind my players that they look ridiculous and thankfully the officials here in kansas have been asking us to have the girls wear the uniforms quote as intended so i can now tell them to stop with this idiotic look immediately oh good when you buy youth uniforms they must all be boys cut because these girls are in these too baggy too big uniform bottoms and um there's, I have two million dollar ideas that come to me when I'm at AAU tournaments. One of them is just making girl cut uniforms, but this is the real one that I think is a million dollar idea because when you play AAU, there's generally three courts side by side with games going on. It's the person that can invent whistles that sound a little bit different from one another. So whether it's the tone or the pitch, or maybe instead of just be one long amount of noise, it like 
breaks up a little bit. But if you're an inventor out there, come up with that, and you'd they sell them like hotcakes at AAU tournaments. Uh, four, Steve, I loved Road Swing. I recommended it to my uh, sports enthusiast students for years when they were looking for something to read. Have you considered doing a sequel? I'd love to read a book of your family's adventures and visiting even more sports-centered places around this country. Now, I, when I wrote Road Swing, I drove around the United States 25,000 miles in a 1996 Nissan Pathfinder. Uh, if we were to do this, Rebecca, as a family of six, drive around the country 25,000 miles in, say, a minivan or a station wagon, would you be would you be up for that? No. 25,000 miles. I think by 5,000 miles, I would be ready to, I don't know what, disavow all of you. We'd have to do it in like short bursts. We couldn't do it in one big long track. Don't you agree? I, I, I will do whatever you, whatever your will is. You've been in the car with all four kids on two hour drives. There's no way we could do a 25,000-mile trip with all of us in a minivan. Friends of ours with three kids told us on Friday night that they're planning next summer to drive across the United States, the five of them, on an epic American road trip. And I think we owe it to our kids and ourselves to do the same at some point. Would it be fun? Not at all. Would it be would it be uh, would we regret it almost instantly? Absolutely. Should we do it anyway as an experience that none of us will ever forget? Try as we might want to forget it. I think absolutely. This is yes, the we difference. Should. Their three kids I've seen in stretches that last longer than five minutes get along. I don't know that I've ever seen all four of our kids in in the same area get along for longer than five minutes. No electronic devices. Nothing to do but look out the window. One bag of of Tootsie Roll, Tootsie Pops, or maybe Jolly Ranchers, and and stopping at windswept um, roadside picnic tables at rest stops to eat day old. Uh, bologna sandwiches. That's what we're going to do. That's what I did. And and why did you have to throw in two of the worst candies ever invented? Jolly Ranchers are awful. And because that's what my mom got for us, and we oh. we we liked it. We loved it. We looked forward to those those Tootsie Pops once every two hundred and fifty you know miles. When I was at UConn, Coach Oriama had always on his desk a jar that was full of little Jolly Ranchers, and um, I always wondered, and I still have never asked him why. Jolly Ranchers. Like, you go to Coach Daly's office, she'd have chocolate, little Hershey Kisses or something that you'd actually enjoy eating. And coaches, Coach always had Jolly Ranchers. I don't know what's on his desk these days, but uh, really? Jolly Ranchers? Well, on the epic road, epic American road trip, Dr. Gary Siegel um, uh, had a minivan. Uh, the minivan born to Lee Iacocca at Chrysler in 1984 was less than 10 years old in 1993. It was time to replace the Siegel's 1989 Dodge minivan. Caravan, I think that was. My wife, Beth, had just finished successful cancer therapy, and she decided to customize her new minivan with spiffy features, such as the sunroof, leather interior, and a CD player. I hope it also had steel-belted radios, radials and rack-and-pinion steering, two of my favorite phrases from car commercials. Uh, also, since there was only one sliding manual door on the passenger side, the bucket seat behind the driver had radio controls on the side panel, and thus it was called the radio seat. Needless to say, the children always argued as to whom would occupy the radio seat. See, this is the kind of epic American road tripping that I'm talking about. Kids fighting over where they sit. Imagine that, Rebecca. Think about it. I'm just going to leave it with the fifth fifth and final point from, from Marty, M-A-R-D-Y, uh, our, our correspondent from Kansas. She writes, finally, I've been trying to figure out what resident expert title I could have if you happen to read this email on your podcast. Lauren is your resident educator. She beat me out for that title. Sherry is your Oregon Ducks expert. I'm a huge fan of the Ducks, but she has that title. Excuse me. And you already have Josh from Wyoming, though I grew up just south of Yellowstone Park. So I haven't heard you mention anyone yet who loves Australian rules football. 
or footy or the Adelaide Crowns, my favorite team. I'd love to be your resident Aussie rules expert. I'm heading to Australia with my husband and two boys this summer to visit family. I would be thrilled to take some pics of your swag down under at a couple of footy games. Keep up the good work. Sincerely, Marty, hopeful resident Aussie rules expert in Olave, Kansas. Does she have swag or does she need some swag? Because we have to make sure our swag gets down under. Marty, if if you have swag, uh, please take it down under. If you don't, give us your address and we'll send some to you. P.S. She writes, I'm a big Holly Rowe fan. You need her in basement again soon. For sure. We definitely need Holly Rowe in basement. But I just should just say to Marty with... uh, that she wouldn't even qualify as our as our resident female Marty, right? Because that title belongs to Marty Bird, M E R T I E, who is the author. This should be good for the Ball and Chain Book Club of the Kids Drank Pickle Juice, a book that we have here in our possession, full of anecdotes about her own uh, wacky group of offspring. But I think my voice is going. I'm going about to die. Gone. Yes. This does it for this week's Ball and Chain podcast. I think... Uh, Before I pass out, yeah. please have Tom... A, oh. oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you, I thought you were going to say, please have a happy Mother's Day. Oh, please have a happy Mother's Day. Since this is the last podcast before Mother's Day, so everyone, please have a happy Mother's Day. Please have a Mother's Day. Please have a defibrillation kit brought to me immediately, and then please have Tom, Dick, and Harry. Happy Mother's Day. Tom, Dick, and Harry, play us out. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pad live in cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, well, we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.